We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome back to the Esme Murphy Show. I'm John Hinderocker filling in for Esme tonight. We're having a fun show. We've been talking about traffic congestion in the Twin Cities. Not that that's fun. And we're talking Minnesota politics. We had former Governor Tim Pawlenty on just before the last uh, break. And we are waiting to be joined, I hope any moment now, by Congressman uh, Tim Walls, who's one of the candidates on the DFL side. And then at the top of the, uh, uh, or at the bottom of the hour, rather, we'll be joined by Commissioner Jeff Johnson, also seeking the the GOP uh, gubernatorial nomination, and in fact, the endorsed uh, Republican candidate. Uh, we reached out also to uh, Aaron Murphy and Lori Swanson, and they were not able to be with us t- tonight, but I'm hoping to catch up with them later in the summer. So it's a big year in Minnesota. Uh, the Republicans uh, control both the House and the Senate, although the Senate uh, control is uh, teetering on the brink uh, by one vote. Um, but with the uh, DFL in control of the governor's mansion, um, it's kind of a stalemate. And as a result, I think it's fair to say that not an awful lot got done in the last legislative session. I think the, uh, the Republicans are hoping to uh, capture the, uh, the governorship so that they can uh, move their agenda forward in a way that they couldn't uh, with Mark Dayton in that office. And conversely, the Democrats are hoping that they can keep uh, control over the uh, the governor's mansion and uh, hopefully uh, uh, improve their standing in the House. The Senate, of course, is is not up for election this year. So that's the uh, the political situation in a nutshell. Uh, some people uh, think that Minnesota is trending in a more Republican, more conservative direction. There's certainly some evidence for that, with Republicans controlling now both the House and the Senate, and with uh, Donald Trump having come within a point and a half and a very surprising, to many at least, a surprising uh, performance in 2016. And so uh, we may be looking at a state that is in transition, and then again we may not. Uh, uh, Politics, uh, particularly in this state, uh, tends to be an ebb and flow back and forth, and uh, neither party, it seems, is is happy uh, for too long and and neither party is in is in control for too long and neither party seems to ever be or, or rarely anyway be in in complete control and maybe that's the way the voters like it we're still waiting for uh, congressman tim walls to join us here in the meantime if you want to uh, jump in uh, and give us your thoughts either on the current political scene or the uh, the uh, congestion, uh, transportation issues we've been talking about on the show, uh, give us a call in the metro area, 651-989-9226, 651-989-9226. And in greater Minnesota, the toll-free number is 866, and then the same seven digits, 989-9226. And you can text us at 81807. We've gotten some pretty interesting um, texts over the course of the of the evening um, on the subject of transportation, which we talked about uh, during the uh, during the first hour. 
uh, one listener texts, uh, not a darn thing gets done without roads. I don't see any lumber, food, cement, contractors, utilities moving on the rail, uh, buses, or bicycles. And that's true. It's a point that people often forget. Uh, you and I can potentially at least uh, uh, get on a bicycle and, and, and bike to the grocery store or whatever, uh, but people who are transporting goods uh, don't have that luxury, nor do they have the opportunity to transport them on uh, light rail or buses. Uh, they really have to use vehicles, uh, that is that is trucks. And so uh, all of us uh, are dependent uh, on the uh, roads and highways, uh, not only for our own transportation, but for all the goods that we need every day. Uh, they got to get to us uh, on the highways. And so uh, – uh, I think a lot of uh, people in the Twin Cities are really up in arms about the uh, the fact that uh, the congestion situation is, uh, is 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 bad here as it is. If you want to talk about that, or if you want to talk about the race for governor, like Rick in St. Paul on line one, uh, just give us a call. Rick, you are on the air. Yeah, I'd like someone to ask Tim Pawlenty, uh what's the difference between his tax plan if he became governor and the one that left us with a huge deficit and some neglect on a lot of infrastructure uh, with his idea of things is the way he wants to. Because um, if I recall, a lot of this infrastructure that needs to be repaired started to um, well, I, I don't, uh, Rick, I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, it was during the Palenci yeah. administration that there were significant additions made to our highways and roads, and as a result, congestion declined by about 10%. It really did ease traffic around around the Twin Cities. So... As, as, I, as far as I know, uh, quite a bit of work was done on infrastructure during that administration. Uh, it, he also allowed a lot of like the education budget to be um, fall back, and the, the deficit went higher under him. So I was just wondering what the difference between tax plan then versus now would be. I didn't hear a clear answer there. Yeah, all right, Thanks. I understand. There are uh, there are folks who are fans of uh, former Governor Tim Pawlenty, and there are folks who are not. You're obviously in the latter category. Uh, Shaletta, who have we got there uh, on line seven? Okay, we now have Congressman uh, Tim Walls on the line. Uh, Congressman, thanks for being on the program. Thank you for having me. Congressman, uh, the DFL convention met a couple of weeks ago, and I'll be completely honest with you, to my surprise, uh, it endorsed uh, Aaron Murphy and not you. And now it's on to the primary. Uh, how, how big a factor do you think that endorsement is going to be in, in the primary race? Well, it hasn't factored in on the DFL side for 48 years. Uh, our endorsed candidate has not gone on to win the governor's office. Uh, I uh, certainly respect the process, but I had said since I got in that I was running in a primary. I think it's just a much broader uh, universe of voters. It's a much better opportunity to talk to Minnesotans when they're paying attention. So uh, I think most Minnesotans, if you ask them, they have no idea this goes on. It's a pretty uh, relatively small universe of voters. And so we're ready to go as we always were, and we're prepared for a primary. Yeah, I think a lot of people on both sides of the of the aisle, Congressman, uh, think it's time to change the kind of crazy system we've got of caucuses that don't really generate much of a result, followed by a very late primary. It's kind of the worst of, of both worlds. I think that's right. Uh, I think the people who talk about a June primary, it makes more sense. I, you know, I know the activists that get out there and they get engaged, and, and there's value in that, but it's it's pretty hard to ask people to go four or five weekends uh, to spend five hundred dollars per room. And go to uh, you know they're once they get there they're pretty sure they're coming out with an endorsement and it kind of becomes uh, 
an end in itself rather than candidate. Yeah, that certainly has been the history, especially on the DFL side. The DFL uh, convention was very interesting this year. Obviously, a lot of excitement. One thing that came out of it was Lori Swanson uh, pulling out of the attorney general uh, race and instead announcing for governor. Uh, what impact do you think uh, her involvement is going to have uh, on the primary? Well, it's hard for me to say. I always anticipated it be more than Say, Congressman, you're kind of breaking up there. Having the resources necessary, and I think having the Attorney General in, you know, just, just brings that dimension to it. We're still, our message has always been about running for a more inclusive of one Minnesota, bringing folks together. And so I guess it'll shake itself out amongst the electorate, but it doesn't really change anything we're doing. What do you think are going to be the most important issues in the primary campaign? Well, I think now that it's a broader audience, it becomes more about who can best solve these issues, who has the capacity to bring folks together. And I think on the Democratic side, one of the realizations we're coming to is uh, both electorally and getting things done, greater Minnesota matters. And this idea that there's a division between the Twin Cities and greater Minnesota, there's certainly differences, but our common core values and we're going to have to work together. So I think the issue will come up about how do you bring folks together? And they're going to talk about, I'm sure it's the same I, w- I would assume relatively similar on the Republican side. People care deeply about, you know, good quality schools. They care about access to affordable quality health care, safety in their communities. Those are the type of things. So I-, I think that's where it goes. How about the general election? Assuming that you get the nomination, Congressman, uh, we don't know who the Republican nominee will be. But but where do you think the, the sharp differences are going to be between you and the, the GOP nominee? Yeah, well, I would assume if, you know, if you think the state has been moving in a direction of, uh, you know, being good in job growth, which we believe it is, uh, being improving on a quality of our schools, uh, I, I think those are the types of things where you'll start to look at someone like myself who can bring folks together. I talk about investing smartly. I talk about reforming and getting the most efficiencies we can out of government. Um, and I think probably, to be very honest with you, those folks who are frustrated with what's happening with the current president will probably come that way. I would guess, uh, you know, Republicans will, will talk deeply about taxation. They normally do, which is a fair discussion to have. But I, I hope, this is my hope, is, is that all of these elections, it's hard to not be nationalized, angry, or whatever. I hope that Minnesotans would be focusing on what can we do as a future? What does this Minnesota of, of 2050 look like? And what can we be laying the groundwork now, whether it be about a world that's going to be thirstier, a world that's going to need more energy, a hungrier world. Minnesota is positioned well to start talking about that, start talking about training that workforce of the future. So I hope that that's where it comes down to. I hope it's not just in a, a, you know, a, a reaction to the national trends. We're making the case that this is focused on a Minnesota where everybody has an opportunity to have uh, you know, chances to succeed. And that's where I hope this, this campaign goes. We're talking with Congressman Tim Walls. Uh, Congressman, there was some co- controversy at the end of the last legislative session when Governor Dayton vetoed that uh, tax conformity bill that had some modest uh, tax cuts in it. W- would you have signed that bill? Well, and this is one, and I think it's a fair question to ask. The only thing I think it's maybe what I always say is it's pretty hard if you weren't in it where it was at. I, I think style-wise, I would hope I don't get to those positions. And I think, you know, a 12-year legislative career of building bridges, getting folks together, uh, if, if it turned out the way it was, uh, probably as, as, as what the governor was looking at, but I would like to think that's predicated on decisions that I think I would have been able to influence earlier on or work with folks earlier on. So uh, it's a fair question. Uh, I think it's hard to 
to give a straight answer if you weren't through the whole the whole thing. But yeah, I think I would have. And I obviously I didn't support the uh, the tax bill in Congress for numerous reasons. One amongst is is I know it, it's somewhat old fashioned, but I do believe deficits and debts matter, and and you have to attack those. And I'm not sure that that that, that was well thought out. Congressman, what's your position on uh, mining in Minnesota? Yeah, well, I think. First of all, to recognize that that uh, mining has built a large portion of America, I, I reject these notions of false choices that it's environmentalism versus economic growth. I think you have to look at where the science is in, uh, involved in each one of these situations. And when people lump them all together, I know the one that comes up now is polymet. Um, my position has always been we need to have an honest discussion. Those metals, especially copper, are at the core of the clean energy economy. They're being mined in pretty horrific ways, both in terms of environmental and human uh, toll that's taken on it. So I think there's a responsibility. If we're going to use copper, let's figure out where it's coming from. Uh, let's follow the science. Let's make sure that we do all the environmental impact statements, the permitting, and then the liability piece in that. If we can do these things, and I believe there's potential if anybody can, Minnesotans can, um, we should be able to pursue those, creating the, the economic opportunities, but more importantly, creating that that future we keep talking about. I do believe strongly that we have to transition away from fossil fuels. Uh, that's not going to happen overnight, and it's going to take some of these metals. So that's the position I've uh, I've taken, uh, and I said it, it comes the same with with pipelines. I voted for some when I felt that they were environmentally sound or needed to be done, and I voted against some. So I think you take them each on their merit. But the idea is is that. The growth that's created, whether it be mining, lumbering, or agriculture, that's new wealth created off the land. Once again, where Minnesota's well positioned, we just have to strike that proper balance. Congressman Tim Walls, thank you so much for being with us. We're going to go yep. to a break now. When we come back, uh, we'll take calls. If you want to be heard on on the uh, political scene or the congestion situation, give us a call in the metro area at six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Uh, Greater Minnesota toll-free, 866-989-9226. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the Esme Murphy Show. John Hinderocker filling in for Esme tonight. We've been talking Minnesota politics, and we've had a terrific show with, with more to come. Uh, we had uh, former Governor Tim Pawlenty on as a guest. We had Congressman uh, Tim Walls uh, right before the last break. And after the next break at the bottom of the hour, I'm expecting to be joined by Commissioner Jeff Johnson. I think I mentioned earlier that we also reached out to Aaron Murphy and Lori Swanson for this show, and they were not able to participate. But I'm going to try to pick them up uh, later in the summer as we continue to talk about current events in Minnesota, including but by no means limited to the political Scene. So Minnesota is at a very interesting point in its political history. Uh, in its early years, it was dominated by the Republican Party and, you know, the post-Civil War era. In, in, in more recent times, it tended to be dominated by the Democratic Party. And in recent years, it's really been uh, back and forth, uh, frequently with divided government, uh, with the governor and, uh, and, and, and control of uh, of at least one of the legislative chambers in uh, in opposite hands, and I think sometimes that's the way the voters actually like it. Uh, but that, in any event, is the way it's been a lot of the time in Minnesota in recent years. And uh, the Republicans I know feel like they've got a good opportunity to uh, really take control over Minnesota politics. Uh, they control the House, they control the Senate, albeit uh, very narrowly by by a single vote. 
every special election for a Senate seat in the next two years is is going to be uh, hotly contested uh, for, for that reason. And with uh, with Donald Trump having come within a point and a half uh, of winning uh, uh, of carrying Minnesota in 2016 and really dominating in Greater Minnesota. Uh, I know that there are a lot of Republicans who think it's a great opportunity with an open uh, seat in the governor's mansion to uh, to elect the next governor and to uh, control uh, the levers of power, to control the governor's mansion as well as both the House and the Senate. Of course, uh, whether that happens remains to be seen. It is a it is a a long way off, and it's going to be an interesting time uh, between now and November. If you want to weigh in, give us a call in the metro area, 651-989-9226. Toll-free in greater Minnesota, 866-989-9226. We had uh, Congressman Tim Walls on just before the last break, and he made a point uh, in a kind of subtle, uh, oblique way that I think is important to his uh, candidacy in the DFL primary. He talked about greater Minnesota. And he, and he talked about rejecting the idea that, that there's a deep division between the Minnesota. And, uh, I think he, I know he views himself, uh, I think he made clear that he views himself as the DFL candidate who can do the most to attract votes in greater Minnesota. Uh, if we look back at what happened in 2016, uh, at the national level, um, you know, the DFL obviously does not want to see the kind of Republican dominance outside of the Twin Cities that we, that we saw two years ago, and uh, I think one of uh, one of Congressman Walls's uh, uh, chief um, uh, planks in his platform, if you will, as he as he runs in the in the DFL primary, uh, is the idea that that he's the Democratic candidate uh, who can do the most to to bring in uh, enough uh, outstate or Greater Minnesota votes to uh, to put him over the top. We heard from uh, former Governor Tim Pawlenty, who talked about some of the issues, talked about some things he'll do differently the second time around, having learned from experience uh, some years ago as as governor. And uh, we're going to go to a break now. And when we come back, uh, we're going to be joined by uh, GOP gubernatorial candidate, uh, Hennepin County Commissioner Jeff Johnson. Welcome back to the Esme Murphy Show. I'm John Hinderocker filling in for Esme tonight. And we are joined right now by Commissioner Jeff Johnson. Commissioner, thanks for being on the program. Yeah, thank you, John. Uh, Jeff, you won the Republican endorsement at the convention a couple of weeks ago, and you've worked hard for quite a while to uh, build up support among the party's activists. How important do you think that endorsement is going to be as we move now into the, uh, the primary season? Oh, I think it'll be crucial, and I wouldn't have moved forward without the endorsement. I, I, I actually, I know some people disagree with this, but I think the endorsement has served us well in the Republican Party, and I think it's crucial to win in November to have a very united and energized base within the Republican Party. I just, I think it's going to be very difficult to win without that. So I, um, I'm thrilled to have it. I think I've been to a lot of conventions including 2002 when I stayed up all night to help Tim Pawlenty get endorsed. And I, I left this convention feeling better about 
where the party is from a unity standpoint than I've felt in a long time. What sort of campaign do you intend to run between now and August? Is it going to be a primary-style campaign really focused on on Republican uh, primary voters, or, or do you uh, expect to be more in a general election mode? Yeah, it, it, I would say more in a general election mode, but it'll be a combination. Obviously, i got to win the primary, which is a hill to climb, and so we're going to focus where we go on where we think we'd find Republican primary voters. But the message is not going to change between pre-endorsement or pre-primary or the general. The message has been the same and will stay the same throughout. You were the Republican nominee for governor four years ago, and you didn't do that badly against a a sitting governor. I think you lost by about five and a half uh, points. Does that give you some confidence uh, going into this year's race with with an open seat? Yeah, it really does. I mean, we, we haven't had a sitting governor uh, who's a second term in like 50 or 60 years in Minnesota. It just seldom happens. And I went from about 15 or 16 points down to five points down. It wasn't enough. But I, I, as I'm traveling around the state, I've been in this, in this race for over a year and talked to literally thousands and thousands of Minnesotans. There is such interest in change right now that I did not see four years ago. A lot of people were saying, hey, we don't want to change horses in midstream. But people want something different. And it's people from across the political spectrum. This is not a real partisan thing. They are just tired of the way government seems to be ignoring people, where our state agencies seem to believe that their job is to tell everybody else how to live their lives as opposed to serve the people who pay their salaries. And that gives me great hope that the message I'm sharing can prevail both in August and in November. Now, there was a news story just a day or two ago, uh, Commissioner, that uh, indicated that uh, Governor Tim Pawlenty uh, is well ahead in the fundraising race so far. How, how important do you think that is? You know, money is important in elections without question, but anybody who believes that it is the end-all, be-all has not been paying attention for the past decade or so, and certainly not the past handful of years. And You know, I will be fine, but my big money is going to come in after the primary, just as it did four years ago. We raised a couple of million dollars in a few weeks after the primary. Tim's money is coming in early. Uh, Mine's going to come in late. So we'll be fine there. But I think more importantly, if anybody is going to rely upon amassing a war chest primary as opposed to getting out there and engaging voters and having a grassroots army all over the state, I I think it's a big mistake. And I think that is a big difference in how Tim and I are running our races. I may be in the minority here. I don't know. But but and obviously you need some resources. You, you, know, you can't win without getting your message out. But but it seems to me that especially in the last couple of election cycles, uh, being able to pay for a whole lot of TV advertising isn't necessarily the key to victory. Right. No, it isn't. And, you know, we have spending limits in this state. And actually, if you look at where I'm at compared to Tim Walls, he has more cash on hand. He doesn't have a ton more cash on hand. I'm actually going to have an advantage over him because he's spent so much to raise the money he has. I'm going to be able to spend more in the general. And I agree with you. Having enough money to get a message out there is primary and well for the general. But again, it's kind of the Jeb Bush strategy from 2016. Let's just amass the biggest war chest and rely on name recognition and don't really engage voters. It just doesn't work very well anymore. 
as you know, Commissioner, Minnesota has one of the higher tax burdens of any state. Different studies measure it a little bit differently. Maybe we're sixth, maybe we're eighth, but we're definitely one of the highest overall tax burdens. If you get elected governor, are you going to try to reduce that tax burden? And, and if so, how? Oh, my gosh, absolutely. And frankly, that is the difficulty is trying to choose where you start cutting taxes because we're in the, I think we're in the top eight in almost every single major tax category. There's a couple where we're in the teens. Um, my greatest focus, my top focus will be on the income tax, particularly the lower levels of the income tax. I think we need to cut all of them. But when you look at our lowest income tax rate, our lowest rate is actually higher than the highest rate in 23 other states, which is absolutely insane. So we're not just taxing to death CEOs in Minnesota. We're taxing to death school teachers and mechanics and bartenders and daycare workers. And that has to be the first thing we fix. And it will be, I, I get asked all the time, what's the first thing you'll do as governor? And I used to say, I'll fire the Met Council. But that's actually now the second thing I'm going to do. The first thing I'm going to do as governor is try to fix the mess that Mark Dayton made by vetoing a bill that at least helped a little bit with our tax burden. Well, and also uh, conformed our tax system to the to the uh, changes in the federal law. It's going to be yeah. a nightmare for uh, Minnesota taxpayers uh, coming. Absolutely, and, and that is again that goes back to the frustration that I'm hearing all over this state, where government doesn't seem to care how their actions are affecting real people. And this veto that Dayton threw out there a couple weeks ago, he didn't really even have a reason for it other than politics. And what it's going to do is it's going to make life absolutely miserable for millions of people in this state because it's going to be impossible to get your taxes done. And a lot of people are actually going to see tax increases when the federal government actually cut taxes. It's crazy. It's unfortunate. One of the topics we talked about earlier in the program, uh, Commissioner uh, Johnson, um, was traffic congestion in the Twin Cities. As, as governor, is that something that you can impact? And if so, uh, well, what do you propose to do about it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the first thing I'm going to do with respect to that is instruct my Department of Transportation that they need to focus on congestion. Right now, they have essentially decided, I think they announced this a couple of years ago, that congestion is not a priority for them anymore. What the priority is uh, offering up different avenues for people to travel other than cars when most people rely upon cars to get where they want to go. And I happen to believe that we should be serving taxpayers and helping them do what they need to do to, to make their lives work rather than trying to change their behavior. And uh, so we'll start with actually focusing on congestion relief. And that means you prioritize your spending rather than spending $2 billion plus on a light rail line that is not going to relieve congestion in any meaningful way and then tens of millions a year to subsidize the thing, let's take that money or some of that money and put it into roads that people rely upon to get to where they want to go. It's really a matter of prioritizing. Where do you stand on mining in, in Minnesota? Some of these projects up north are, seem to be coming to a head. What's your position? You know, we're sitting on a literal gold mine. Oh, gold mine not the right word because it's not gold, but we have minerals up there that no one else in the world has, or at least almost no one else in the world has. Certainly no one else in the United States has. And we are playing political games with something that could provide a great service to people and also create great private sector jobs in an area of the state where they are desperate for good jobs. And so the fact that, that um, 
you know, we are slow walking this and that we are letting regulations, we're, we're actually not allowing businesses to go through the normal regulatory process. We have a tough regulatory process to protect our environment, and I'm okay with that. But I, what I'm seeing right now is government playing games with that regulatory process that as businesses should be working through that to create jobs, we're standing in the way. I'm going to be an advocate for this as governor because I truly believe that we can do this, that the private sector can create great jobs up there in a way that protects the environment. We're talking with Commissioner Jeff Johnson, the third of the candidates for governor that we've uh, talked with tonight. Commissioner, I want to just give you the last word and and ask you to take a minute or so to uh, tell our listeners why you think you should be our next governor. Thanks. I appreciate that. And just to fill everybody in, I'm the endorsed Republican candidate. I'm in a primary with Tim Pawlenty, and then whichever of us wins that will go on to the general. And, you know, my message and my, I think, distinction, one of my distinctions with Tim is that I don't believe this is a time for business as usual. I don't believe this is a time for more of the same or tinkering on the edges. We need fundamental generational change in government. We need to change the very culture in St. Paul from that of telling everybody how to live their lives or, or spend their money or run their businesses to actually serving the people who pay their salaries. And I think I'm the only one in this race from either party who's going to bring that fundamental change to government. Commissioner Jeff Johnson, thank you very much for being with us. We are going to go to a break now, and when we return, uh, we'll take your calls. In the metro area, that's 651-989-9226. In greater Minnesota, toll-free, 866-989-9226. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to the Esme Murphy Show. John Hinderocker filling in for Esme tonight. This is the last segment of tonight's show, and so we're going to go to the phone lines. If you want to be heard, uh, give us a call in the metro area at 651-989-9226. In greater Minnesota, toll-free at 866-989-9226, or you can text us at 81807. Let's go to Dan in St. Louis Park on line one. Dan, welcome to the program. Hey, John. Hey, you know, um, it seems to me that it's more than ever before a huge ideological difference between Democrats and Republicans. The Democrats seem to really have moved so far left as, a, as evidenced on our campuses across the country, which almost seem fascist and Marxist. And that seems it's very concerning to me, but, which brings to the point why can't we, for a very affordable price, get your degree solely online except to show for doing oral reports or taking exams? These huge universities that waste millions and millions of dollars on buildings and maintenance and a lot of degree programs that are just more politically correct than actually practical. I mean, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Don't you think a guy should be able to get a degree and get most of your general education requirements done for just a fraction of the cost? Short answer, short answer, Dan, is yes. You know, education is a big and complicated topic, but I, I guess I would say a couple of things, Dan, in response to your comments. Number one, I think too many of our, our, our young people are oriented to the idea that they've got to go to college, they've got to get a four-year degree in order to be successful in life. It just isn't, isn't true. 
Uh, and in fact, there are a lot of terrific career options that don't require four-year degrees, that require specialized job training, which of course is what right. most employers are are really looking for. And so, so I think when you talk about education, for me, the starting point would be we need more emphasis on job skills readiness. Uh, and less emphasis on the idea that everybody's got to go to college, whether he really necessarily wants to or not. But, you know, but even even the taxpayer is subsidizing so many stupid, foolish degree programs that really just suck money away from the taxpayer. Yeah, I think you know, really- I think it's very difficult to justify the cost of higher education. One of the things going on, I think, is that. The federal government has made easy loan money available, and what that does, what it tends to do, is to is to jack up the price. You know, the more money that the consumers have to spend, the more the universities, uh, you know, raise their prices. And right. and so what we're now seeing is a lot of young people graduating from college with a crushing load of debt, and and they may or may not have any real. Uh, career prospects or uh, or job prospects. So, and I, I, know, I but yeah. I think your point, yeah. Dan. I never really got back to your original point, which was about efficiency in in higher education. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, college is great. I loved it. You know, but we're looking at a model that goes back how many centuries? You know, right. I, I mean, it goes way, way back into the past. And the idea of gathering in groups of 20 or 30 or maybe 100 or whatever it might be to to listen to lectures each day and and so forth um is is not really the most efficient way of communicating information and right. I, I, a lot of the information is not actually useful it's you know i mean i'm not saying you know i just think so much of it is um like I mean, Norwegian studies or something. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey, hey, Dan, 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 come on, man. You're talking to I'm a proud Norwegian, Norwegian American. Okay. <laughs> I can talk a little Norse, even. But I'm just saying, I just, uh, and it's sad. You kids drive to the U, they got to find a place to park. They pay for a parking ticket, I mean, a parking permit. They walk to class, sit in a huge auditorium in a building that's vacant a lot of the day, and the evening is vacant. And it seems so archaic. Thanks. Well, I think archaic is a good word for it. Uh, and, and by the way, you know, uh, Tim Pawlenty, when he was governor, uh, was kind of a visionary about some things. And one of those things was exactly what you're talking about, efficiency in education and the idea that we can do a lot more online. We can do a lot more at a far, far lower cost. And the fact is we're going to have to. Uh, you know, I, I think we're getting to the point where – more and more young people and their parents are are rebelling against the the uh, dollars that they're being expected to to shell out uh, and oftentimes uh you know having a lot of concern about the quality of the product. So Dan, thanks for calling. Thank uh, let's go to uh Jim in St. Paul on line 2. Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. You know, uh I I just want to say one thing about uh Governor uh, Dayton vetoing that uh that bill, and he's getting criticized for. It was a bill that was huge. It was like uh, 900 and some pages, and they brought it out 15 minutes ahead of time. But in that bill, there were 117 different poison uh, pills, if you you will, uh, of things that were really rotten that they put in there, the the Republican uh, legislature put in there. They took 70 out the next day, because they themselves knew how onerous that was. That left 47 more. So when he vetoed that bill, 
He didn't veto it to make life miserable for taxpayers or anybody else. It was the fact that, and this happened three times in a row, where the Republicans put in these poisons. Let let me just pause you for a second there, Jim, because I'm not sure exactly what you're talking about. What's the number one poison pill on the list? Uh, You know, there, there are so many... And no, no, but let's just talk about the big ones. What what would be at the top of the list, number one? Well, myself, I, I can't tell you. I don't know, but I know if he said that, there was there was stuff in there that, that you know, had to be bad. I mean, Well, Jim, did he say that? I mean, what I saw Governor he, Dayton he did, saying... Did, John, he did say that. Yeah, yeah. Now, Jim, you may be right, but what I saw Governor Dayton saying was that he vetoed the bill... Uh, even though it was, you know, it was really necessary to bring Minnesota tax law into conformity with the changes in the federal law. But what I saw Governor Dayton saying was that he vetoed it because it was a giveaway to the rich. Is that does that make sense to you? Well, it, that might have been part of it. But what I'm saying is, if you pay attention to this the way I do, and believe me, I follow politics night and day, and always have. And being retired, I have got time to do that. When they say, when I say poison pills, it, it's something in there that wouldn't be right. You, you just take a look at what's happened in the federal government. The federal government is totally unable to do anything now because we've got a president that lies continuously. Well, they cut our taxes. I mean, that's that's one thing they did. Did they cut your taxes very much? They didn't. It, it maybe made five dollars difference for me. All right, Jim. Listen, hey, Jim, I, I deduce from your comments that you're a DFLer, which is just fine. That's terrific. Who's, who's your candidate in the primary? Have you decided yet who you're going to vote for or whether you're going to vote in the primary? Oh, absolutely. I'm not going to pass that up. I, I think I'd vote for Lori Swanson. And, and why do you say that? And I wish, by the way, that, that uh, the Attorney General could have been with us tonight. She couldn't make it. I'm hoping to catch her on a show later in the summer. Well, what is it that you like about her candidacy? I think she's very honest, she's very smart, and she picked a real good running mate. Yeah, that was really interesting, wasn't it? Uh, Rick Nolan, retiring from Congress, uh, is now uh, running for lieutenant governor in tandem with, uh, with Lori Swanson. Uh, do you think that's going to sway, uh, sway some primary voters? You know, I don't know. I hope so. I, I, I like all the Democrats. I don't have I don't have any you know, I don't have anything against any of them. And I, I for on the Republican side I, I kinda like that Jeff Johnson. I think he's at least a moderate. Interesting. Yeah, did you hear him on the show tonight? Yes. Yeah, he was on just before uh, just before the break. Um Okay, well hey listen Jim, thank you very much for calling. It was it was great to chat and thank you have you. a good night. Well, we're not quite to the end of the show. We got just a couple of minutes left before we got to wrap it up. I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did. In in the couple of minutes that we have left, I want to just return to a topic that we touched on with with several of the gubernatorial candidates, uh, but didn't have time to explore in detail. And obviously, we won't have that time now either. And that's mining, because one thing that I think uh, ought to be a significant issue in November. Uh, for candidates for governor as well as candidates for the legislature is their attitudes, their views toward mining in northern Minnesota. Uh, the organization that I run, which is called Center of the American Experiment, is about to put out a major paper on Minnesota mining, and it's going to be the cover story in the upcoming issue of Thinking Minnesota, <clears throat> our quarterly magazine. 
And and what that paper is going to point out is that, among other things, is that developing uh, mineral resources in northern Minnesota can add more than $3 billion a year uh, to Minnesota's gross domestic product and will help to create more than 8,000 jobs, not just in northern Minnesota, but all over the state, uh, high-paying jobs. And one of the interesting things about it is that the minerals that we're talking about mining in northern Minnesota, things like copper and nickel and cobalt, are vitally important for things like cell phones. You can't make a cell phone without those minerals. And so if we're going to use those minerals, uh, what better place to mine them, what safer place to mine them than Minnesota? Well, that's going to be it for tonight. I'm John Hinderocker filling in for Esme Murphy, and I'll be with you again uh, soon, I hope. Have a good night. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.